Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Bible study. And if you're in here, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Um, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8 here in just a bit. Uh, we're going to specifically be studying verse 3 there while you're turning a couple of things to pass on. One is uh, we'll be having a, a church business meeting this coming Wednesday night uh, after our uh, time of worship. More exciting ways that God has specifically answered specific prayers. Uh, just so very thankful. So um, uh, we've got a uh, potential deal on the table in the cell of this current building and a uh, hundred parts about it look great. So we need to talk about it and uh, and uh, then we'll, we'll um, uh, if everything goes as we hope, have, have a vote uh, to make the decision about it there. One other thing to note is uh, a week from uh, today, we begin the new uh, uh, Sunday school uh, endeavor there. Uh, where we're going to be having a children's Sunday school time. And then uh, we're going to be spending, the plan is a, about a year and a half working through church history. Cole Byers will be leading that. So please make plans to attend. Romans 12. Let's begin in verse 3. A new paragraph uh, in this section here. We'll start in verse 3, read through verse 8, and then we'll pray. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we pray that you will give us uh, the, the, the manna from heaven, the help from heaven that we need in order to benefit from this time. We offer ourselves to you right now. We are trying to give submissive hearts to your word that we will hear and heed and resolve to obey, uh, Lord, even in this time. And so we pray that you will be glorified by worship as we hear and we benefit from these things. So please work all the things that the word should work in us. Each of us with individual needs, please address what needs addressed, sin where it needs addressed, encouragement where it's needed, strengthening, instruction, transformation, all the ways, oh God, uh, that we need these things. We pray that you bring them so that we are vessels who please you. So God, please bless the preaching and hearing of your word. Please bless our sweet little ones in the next room that as they hear your word, they will believe um, and be saved and grow in Christ. So please, oh God, for the glory of your name, work. And we ask this through Christ. 
Amen. The electricity that turns on the lights in your house and lets you run your blenders and curling irons and power tools and whatnot, it, it all comes from a source of power. For most of us, that's a power plant off somewhere and it produces electricity. It's run by wires to your house. From your electric panel, it disperses out through your walls, through wires going to the light bulbs and the outlets, etc. And those wires themselves, they produce no electricity. You know, if you were to go to the hardware store and just buy a coil of wire before you connect it, emphasis there, before you connect it, the wire has no danger to you. You can grab the ends, expose the copper. There's no danger because it does not produce the juice, the electricity. The wire itself is not the origin. The wire simply carries the electricity. It does not create the power. It carries the power. I think that can be a helpful way for us to think about the way it is that God works in this world, how Jesus is building his church, how God is bringing his kingdom to the earth, how it is that God is drawing souls to himself to salvation, how it is that God is sanctifying and strengthening and building his people. And yet that happens through the efforts of his people. How is it that we labor and yet the Bible will say that God is the one at work? There's a way in which in kingdom things, we are channels of his grace. We are conduits of his grace. I think conduit is also a helpful illustration. In, in many industrial buildings, even the, the wire itself will be run inside of PVC plastic type piping or maybe a metal piping that's meant to protect the wire. A conduit does not create any energy. It allows the energy to run through it. And every time that you and I serve, obey, and there's, there's fruit that comes, what has happened is that we've, we've been a conduit of God's power, God's grace, God's gospel from heaven passes through our lips because he did some things in our hearts and prompted those things. God's rule comes to the earth as we influence others to come under that rule, but it's God's grace at work. And this is the primary truth that Paul preaches in verse three, which then sets up what he's going to teach next. And we'll see in some of the weeks to come. Now, still part of this introduction, I, I want to point out again, and I'll, I'll try to do this every few weeks or so, just to remind us that what ties um, this big section together here is how the Christian relates in various kinds of relationships. So in verses one and two, which we just came out of, we saw how we, the, the people of God, those who are in Christ, how we are to relate to God. 
But then starting in verse three and going down to verse 13, there's a, there's a section here that is addressing how we who are in Christ are to relate to one another who are in Christ. Verses 14 to 21 gets into how are we supposed to relate to those outside of Christ? Chapter 13, the first half gets into how are we supposed to relate to governing authorities? The last half of chapter 13 addresses how are we supposed to relate to our neighbors? Chapter 14 um, gets into how are we who are in Christ, how are we supposed to relate to believers who are the weaker brethren? There's actually a whole chapter. Um, how are we supposed to interact with the weaker brethren? There's, you know, there's this emphasis, we're not to view them with contempt, we are to serve them in grace. Chapter 15 uh, continues some of these very same thoughts, finishes it up, and, and then Paul gets into some of the personal matters and, and there'll be plenty of instruction there. But so, so this idea of how we relate in various relationships vertically and horizontally, it's, it's going to be the subject for some time. How we relate to God, relate to one another, and we relate to those outside of Christ. This is the subject here. And so we begin this section here of 3 to 13 that is addressing how we are to interact with one another um, in the body of Christ. And so if you got your bulletins, I put an outline there. Um, so we're, this is number two, and I've, I've listed out four primary truths uh, that will be in, in verses 3 through 13. I've got them listed there, A, B, C, and D. We, we start with verse three, which is the first of those. How are we to interact with one another as the body of Christ? The first part is there, in humility. So let's get started in studying this. If you notice the first phrase of verse three there, um, uh, like a good Baptist, I've divided it into three parts there, uh, some phrases that are there. So notice the first phrase there. Paul begins... For through the grace given to me, I say to you. Now watch what's happening there. Paul says, you know, in a sense, all the ministry that I do, including the ministries he's doing right there in that moment, as he was speaking words that were instructing those believers in that church as they heard all the ministry I do, I'm doing it from uh, the grace that has been given to me from above. So exactly what we talked about in our illustration, Paul is essentially saying, I'm simply a channel of grace. God has given grace from above, it passes through me, and I am ministering to you by that grace. What he's emphasizing here is the reality that though, you know, we as Christians, we humans, we work, we do effort, we use our bodies and hands and feet, we sweat, we toil in the work of ministry, really and ultimately it is God who is the one at work. We are sent out by the work of God. When Jesus said th th those words, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that was not a poetic statement, okay? It is a statement of the actual reality. It really is the case that from heaven, Jesus sits on his throne um, and he is uh, ruling over the cosmos by the word of his power. He is raising kingdoms, destroying kingdoms, okay? but specifically as we're addressing the building of his church, it really is Jesus. 
who is sending out his spirit to work in his people. It really is Jesus who is mediating for his people. That's not poetic. He really is doing some things that if he weren't doing them, you and I would crumble. Jesus is mediating as high priest. Jesus is arranging circumstances. He is teaching. He is sanctifying. He is correcting. He is disciplining. He's using a lot of means on the earth like us, but he is the one um, doing these things. And so, you know, as, as we consider that and think it through, it, it could be the case that you might think, all right, well, if Jesus is the one building his church ultimately, and he's sovereign over these things, why isn't the church a lot stronger then? You know, what, why am I not a lot holier, better at kingdom things? Why, why, why do I struggle with disobedience? Why, why, why isn't there this? Well, one of the things that the New Testament shows us is God has chosen to work in a way that he doesn't turn us into robots. He sends his spirit who works in us and influences and works through us, but he does it in a way that we remain creatures with choices and a will and still yet somehow in this in, in the secret will of God he's accomplishing all of his purposes but God is working in a way that we still are involved and in. we participate with the work of God and, and join in it you know but, but let me let me also point out this you know it is also the case that a lot of times we look around at the church and we see weakness we see things that frustrate us. We see nominal lukewarm Christians. We see nominal lukewarm churches. And, and sometimes we, we just are disappointed by what we see in the weakness of the church globally. And, and there's a way in which that's absolutely the case. Yes, we, we should be stronger in some of those things. But we also got to remember that one of the ways that God is glorifying his name even more magnificently is the fact that he does what he does through such weak and at times nominal and disappointing believers in churches. It, the, the church is a supernatural group of people. It is astounding what God has done in history using such weak people. And this is the way that God displays his glory even more. But ultimately it is God at work. Jesus is building his church, but he is doing it through the efforts uh, of his people. The church is a marvel. And so, yes, it's the case that we have work to do. We are to put in effort. We make decisions we are to use our bodies, our hands, our feet, our mouths. We are to sweat and toil. But repeatedly, the New Testament emphasizes that when we do that, we are simply exercising grace that we have been given from above. Uh, let me rattle off a few passages um, that kind of emphasize this as well. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, so that happened at justification. Then he goes on to talk about what happens now. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Part of the point that Paul is emphasizing in that verse 
is that there is a way in which Christ is acting through him. And that goes for us as well. Christ is working through us. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it's one we bring up a lot when we talk about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Listen to what he says and listen carefully. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So in other words, I didn't make myself what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Paul was willing to recognize that he worked really hard in obedience and service. Okay, but watch this. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. There is this reality of the grace of God and our efforts, and it's all flowing through us. You think of the theme verse of the book of Acts, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, it goes on to explain. And then one more, Colossians 1.29, he says, for this purpose, he had just been talking about the gospel, for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Striving according to the power that God gives. So Paul says, I labor, but the, the labor I engage in is, is God's power and God's grace channeling through me. So let me say again, that's not just a nice sounding statement, but that doesn't mean anything. This is the actual reality of what happens. Every time a Christian labors, okay, and we do it in the right way, that, that's an important phrase, and we do it in the right God-honoring way by faith and some of those things that the New Testament mentions, every time that we labor and there's fruit that comes, it is ultimately God who is the one who has been at work. Been at work. God is accomplishing his purposes through his people. So, so let, me, let me say it very practically here. Why are you here this morning? Why'd you assemble together with other believers in order to seek the face of God? Why'd, why'd you come this morning? It, it is a true statement if you said, because I decided to. Okay, that's absolutely true, but it's not the whole story. You are here this morning because God gathers his church. You are here because Jesus assembles his people. You are here because the Holy Spirit moves and works to bring Jesus's people together in order to seek his face. Ultimately, it is the case. And, and this is this is biblical language again and again. God is gathering his people. And that's why we are here. Um, so in one sense, what Paul is saying, what I am doing right now, okay, in the work of teaching is an example of what I'm about to say to you. So he's about to go on, and in weeks to come, we're gonna be looking and talking about these things of gifts within the body of Christ, and the ways that we are to serve and care for one another using our gifts so as to build up the body of Christ. Paul's doing that right now as a teacher, and so what he's saying is, what I'm doing right now is an example of all that I'm about to explain to you. And here is a starting truth that is a critical truth for us to know before we get into those things. Because one of the effects, this is just one, but one of the effects that this is supposed to produce in us as we understand how it works is, it is supposed to produce humility within us. Because anytime we serve, anytime in 
your life of obedience, it's going well and there's fruit. Part of what this is preaching to us is, I didn't do that out of my own strength. You didn't do that out of just your great righteousness. It's from grace that came to us. It's from the work of God stirring and leading and our high priest mediating for us in heaven, sending the exact grace that we needed in order to lead us into that service or obedience. It produces humility when we understand how it all works. Whatever good we accomplish, we are not the ones who get the credit. Jesus was working. We get the privilege of getting to be conduits of his grace. So Paul's about to explain how we Christians relate to one another and how we are to be serving and, and working with one another. And one of the great truths that a Christian needs to hold in our hearts as we do this, lest we boast, is that whatever good comes has come by the grace of God. See, if we don't know that in our hearts, we will boast. We have a hair trigger towards boasting. We may not say it out of our lips. I mean, we like to do that too. <laughs> But we may not say it out of our lips, but we have this hair trigger in our hearts. I'm always, my sinful heart is always looking for a way for me to gloat in me. I'm always looking for a way to compare myself to somebody else so that I can feel inflated over them. Okay. And it's not just me. It's all of us. Okay. This is part of the sin nature that lives in our hearts. We, in a critical truth before we get into the rest of it is we have to know how it all works so that humility uh, then leads to the right kind of interaction with one another. Knowing these truths produces within us humility. So Christian, the truth that we are talking about today, what I've already mentioned in the next couple phrases we're going to look at, if we will deeply consider these and own them down in the depths of our hearts, it will produce a greater humility. The, the, the prideful ways we think of ourselves, they will lower and we will think of ourselves more according to truth. So watch how this um, connects into what he's going to say next. So next phrase uh, let me start at the beginning to set the context for through the grace given to me. I say to everyone among you, here's the next phrase, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. The call that Paul gives here is a call to humility without using the word humble or humility. This is what he is explaining, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He's explaining here what true humility is. Now, it's helpful as we talk about this to also bring up some misunderstandings that we Christians can have um, about humility because there are some wrong ideas that float out there. Sometimes Christians have the idea that humility is when you hate yourself. You know, you slump your shoulders, you put your tail between your legs and you always, you know, just wander around, never looking people in the eyes and you always have to say, I'm bad at everything. Okay. That is not biblical, true humility. True humility is to think of ourselves rightly. It's to think of ourselves according to truth. It's to understand who I truly am. True humility is not loathing yourself. It's simply thinking of ourselves in a way that is accurate. Uh, now, let me kind of connect this to the bigger 
picture of the whole text. If you remember back in verse 2, we were told to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so be transformed in our thoughts. Now, verse 3, what does it say? Here's a really practical way we are to think. We are to think of ourselves according to truth. And thinking of ourselves according to truth will produce a, a right way, a, a right kind of humility mixed with all of the encouragements as well as recognition of our sin that comes with knowing reality as it actually is. You know, So one, one of the truths that we see over and over again the gospel explains reality. Again, one of the things the Bible is doing is explaining two plus two equals four, the sky is blue, and here's reality as it is. Here is God as he really is. Here's who you are. Here's who you really are. And as we come to see who I really am, we will think of ourselves rightly and not according to the inflated views that we had before we turned to Christ and we still struggle with. So what does it mean to think of ourselves rightly? Well, here's one dimension of who you are. You are a creature and not the creator. You are a creature made out of dust. There's a point in that, by the way. God used dust and not gold. Okay, there's a point that he's making in there. You are a creature made out of dust you're made by an infinitely wise, awesomely holy and glorious God who alone is worthy of worship. That alone, if we looked at no other truth, would be enough to keep us from boasting in ourselves. That truth alone would have been enough to keep Adam and Eve from boasting in themselves, even if they had never fallen into sin. But there are truths beyond that that cause us to even see our position even more clearly. Because another truth, another reality is we are sinners saved by grace. So I, I speak to you who are in Christ. If you have never turned to Christ to be saved, the greatest thing that you need is to look to him to be saved from hell. But to you who are in Christ, we are sinners saved by grace. And sinners saved by grace should be the humblest people on the planet. Because what it means that we're sinners saved by grace is we are not people who are righteous because we are inherently righteous. What it also means is, is sinners saved by grace. It doesn't mean that we were once sinners, but we figured out a way to stop sinning. And so now we're, now we're right with God because I figured out how to stop sinning. We're not people who were sinners, but then we found out a way how to do enough good works that we finally were able to make God happy. And God said, okay, I'll let you come into my heaven now. No, no, that's, that's not what any of these are. We're sinners who deserve the wrath of God. We, we are sinners who really do deserve hell. We ought to be under the wrath of God forever and ever. And God has given um, a, a way of rescue through his son, but it comes according to grace. Like we don't reach a level of obedience and God says, okay, now you're good enough. No, God comes to us even while we are ungodly and says, I'll forgive you now and then I'll change you later. I'll forgive you even in your sins. Sinners saved by grace means we're not sinners saved by works. We're not sinners saved by our merit. We're saved by grace. And truly knowing that should produce a way of thinking within us that never boasts in myself, never feels inflated. 
never feels puffed up. That doesn't mean never feels encouraged, but there's a difference between encouragement and being puffed up and inflated. Sinners saved by grace should be the humblest people on the earth. Thinking according to truth is meant by God to produce things in our lives. Understanding the gospel deeply that I'm a sinner saved by grace is supposed to produce humility and, and, and the host of other things. It is meant, we saw back in verses one and two, that it is meant to produce gratitude, which by the way, gratitude can only flow out of humility. It is impossible to feel gratitude in our hearts when I think I'm entitled to everything I have. Okay? It is meant to produce humility. It is meant to produce uh, gratitude. It is meant to produce patience with others because we reflect on how patient God has been with us. It's meant to produce a forgiving spirit because we recognize how much God has forgiven us. It's meant to produce service. The son of God left the throne in heaven to come to earth in order to pursue and to serve us. You know, throughout church history, there's a reason why Christians have, have done, um, you, you know, at some point I've wanted to mention just a word of rejoicing in, in what our, our member of our church, Jordan Furch, has been doing with this Isaiah 117 house. You know, in one sense, it, it's this, in this long history of things of what Christians do when they're impacted by the gospel. Throughout history, when Christians get impacted by the gospel, they see people hurting and they're just, draw, they're compelled to go, I want to go help. And so hospitals are built, orphanages are built, people adopt and, and foster and care and, and go visit the, the widow and the orphan. What it produces, it produces this compelling, I want to help others. Why? Because of what has been done to us. You know, everything I just said there, it's, just, it's this theme that runs through the New Testament. And the gospel produces in us, when we think rightly about ourselves, it awakens brotherly affection towards one another, all the other people who are in the body of Christ. We have been shown incredible love. And the father says, I want you to go love all the other people I saved too. I adopted you. I want you to go love all those other people that I adopted. But Lord, some of them are annoying and difficult and I, our personalities don't get along. I don't care. I adopted them. I want you to go love them, serve them, be patient with them, and show grace to them. The gospel is meant to awaken these kinds of responses. And, and one of the things being emphasized here is the humility that it is meant to produce, that we not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Notice the next phrase. It's still a part of the same thought here. He says, but to think so as to have sound judgment. So sound judgment as opposed to fallacious judgment, inflated judgment. Uh, my wife used to enjoy watching that show, American Idol. Um, I, I blame her so that you don't think I enjoyed it. Um, she used to uh, watch that show, American Idol. And one of the things that happened there is, uh, you know, they, 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 they got all these talented singers that they make sure to put on the camera and they stand before the panel. And it's amazing. But for entertainment value, they also put some others on there. Um, there's that crowd that has no self-awareness. And they think that they are amazing. They think they are the next Whitney Houston. They really believe it and they make sure to put them on the camera. And you know, sadly, they're just not the next Whitney Houston. But, but what is happening there, they really believe they're amazing. And yet in reality, they are not. Christian, you and I do that. This is where we were before Christ. 
inflated thoughts of ourselves, but this is what we still struggle with. We struggle with the idea that I'm better than what I actually am. And what the Bible does, again and again, showing you who God is, and it's showing you who you are. It, it's teaching us who we are so that we think of ourselves rightly. And when we think of ourselves rightly, we will think according to humility. So what does this entail to have a sound judgment of ourselves? Well, it, would, it would entail every truth that informs us who we are. The really depressing ones as well as the really encouraging ones. But how, how are we supposed to think of ourselves? You know, uh, the prosperity gospel preaches you're children of the king. And children of the king don't drive rusty cars. They drive Mercedes. Is that how we're supposed to think of ourselves? On the same note, there's, there's this kind of harsh version of Christianity that's always calling everybody maggots all the time. You know, it's always emphasizing sin so strongly. It's just always disgusted with everybody. Just always looking with contempt. You are just a bunch of maggots. You ought to shut up. Is that how we're supposed to think of ourselves? Okay, well, no. Every truth, every truth that informs who I am as a sinner, but also a son of God, is, is involved in what it means to think of ourselves according to sound judgment. So this would include all the things we just talked about. We're creatures made out of the dust. We are sinners saved by grace. Okay, John the Baptist, Charles Spurgeon, Amy Carmichael, these great men and women of God, they still rightly deserved hell. But God used them in, in amazing ways. They, they did not gloat um, over others. And that's, they recognized grace that was given them as the way that they served. And that's meant to produce a certain kind of posture before God, a childlike posture before God. Recognize it. We're all the thief on the cross. We're all the thief on the cross who only makes it in because God is merciful, not because we deserve it. John MacArthur writes to pastors, missionaries, evangelists, those involved in vocational ministry of various kinds. And he, one of the points that he makes is he says, the only way you're going to make it and not quit and not fall is if you come to hold certain convictions deeply. And one of those convictions that he emphasizes is that you and I must be convinced of our own insignificance in, in the kingdom of God. He doesn't need us. He chooses to work through us, but he does not need us. But this also involves, let me rattle off a few other uh, truths that I think pertain to what we're going to be talking about in weeks to come in, in terms of gifts. You know, I've just emphasized we're all fallen, depraved sinners, and we must never forget that. But at the same time, while understanding my sinfulness, and my sinfulness at times is astounding, and we got to remember that, we also bear in mind that you've been adopted by the God of heaven. The living God has become your father. You are sons and daughters of God. That is meant to produce humble dignity. Humble dignity. Yes, the two can go together. Humble sense of dignity. We also need to recognize Christian, you can please God. You can make God smile by your obedience. You know, there, there was a point in my Christian life, I wish somebody had really clearly explained that to me. Because we, we can understand sin 
that sin makes God angry, sin doesn't please God, and then come to a misunderstanding that as a Christian, I continue to sin and have the wrong idea that God is always disgusted with us. And that's not biblical. And the reason that it's not biblical is because it fails to take into account the difference between law and gospel, law and grace. Once we are in Christ, God no longer deals with us according to the strict justice of the law. He deals with us according to grace. Christian, it is a joyful thing to consider the fact that um, in the Bible, we're told that God was pleased with Noah and Job and others that there are churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus spoke to and he communicates that he was pleased with them. In some people's view of Christianity, that's not possible because we're all just maggots all the time. No, no, you can please God. We ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but there's also the case you ought not think of yourself as a maggot when God thinks of you as a son and a daughter. There are truths we must hold together. And then, and then similarly, one last one that I'll just bring up for here, and it pertains to what's coming next in our text. It is not prideful to recognize when you are talented at something. It's a wrong definition of humility when people think, I, I have to pretend like I'm not good at things. If you are good at singing, it is not pride to recognize that you are. It's pride if you feel inflated about it as though you did it. But if somebody asks you, hey, are you good at singing? You know, would you like to participate in something? Some people's definition of humility is I have to pretend like I'm not. Well, it's true compared to the angels. You probably aren't as great as them, but you're on earth. Okay. You're amongst humans ministering to other humans. Okay. And so there is a relative sense in which the Bible will talk about these things. Okay. There is a relative sense in which the Bible will say somebody was a good person. Well, wait, Romans 3, nobody's good. That's right, according to the law. But in a relative sense, when it comes to that kind of thing, the Bible will use that kind of language. So when it comes to gifts of the Spirit, there's a way in which we need to recognize ways that God has gifted us so that we recognize when I do this, it goes well. I want to serve God in this way so that you go pursue it. We need to think of ourselves soberly, carefully, according to truth. And there are times that we're going to have an idea of our talent that is beyond what it actually is. And we need to think of it properly. But true humility is thinking according to sound and sober judgment. And that leads us to the last phrase. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If you serve God and it goes well, there's fruit that comes or if in general you, you, you see your life, you recognize that your life of obedience is going well. It is not evil to recognize if something is going well. But what we must be very careful to do is not to boast. And here is one of the big reasons why, adding more truth in, because the faith which you have, you received as a gift. And gift, excuse me, faith is what produces the life of obedience and the life of service. So, so Christian, you know, we, we know, Ephesians 2, that when we were lost in our sins, lost and dead, even the faith to be saved had to be a gift from God. God worked the new birth. You did not work the new birth. God worked the new birth and gave you the gift of faith. But Paul here is going further than that. 
He's going further to even talk about the Christian life. If you obey God, serve God in a way that it bears fruit, God gave you even the amount of faith in order to bring this about. God gives the gift of faith and he gives out a measure of faith. And he gives out a different measure to different people. He has even chosen the amount of faith that he will give you. This is, one of the re- this is yet another of the reasons why we just cannot boast over our brothers and over our sisters and why we are not to judge one another. Now, I'll remind you just so we understand, the New Testament tells us both to judge and to not judge, okay? It's not a contradiction. The Bible does this all the time. It's that there's an evil way to judge, and then there is a kind of way you have to, okay? If somebody commits murder right in front of your face and you say, hey, that was wrong, you, you just judge in a certain kind of way, all right? That's not the evil kind. But when we look down on a brother, when we feel contempt for a brother, when we despise a brother, when we feel inflated, over a brother because we either see or we just imagine that we're doing a better job in the Christian life than them and we feel puffed up over them. That is the evil kind of judgment. And part of what the Bible is showing here is that even John the Baptist, who was more obedient and produced more fruit than all of us in this room combined, okay, Even he had no room to feel inflated over the weakest of brothers. Now listen, it was not evil for John the Baptist to recognize that he was obedient and he was serving God even more than others. It's not evil to recognize that. But it would have been evil if he had felt puffed up about that. If he would have looked down on others because of it. And the reason why... It's because the text is showing us the reason why John the Baptist was John the Baptist is because the grace of God made him that way. God gave to John the Baptist a large measure of faith. It is also the case that to some God gives small measure of faith. And what does the Bible teach? To whom much is given, much is required. Do you remember the parable of the talents? The king brings the servants before them and to one he gives one, to another he gives three, and to another he gives five. And then they come and they stand before him. How are they judged? They were judged in in this regard. They were judged according to the measure they had been given. The man who was given three was not judged according to the same standard as the one who was given five. Now, I know sometimes we can hear that kind of thing and, and we got to tie it together with other truths and sometimes people can think like, well, wait a second, this means that God's like not fair. No, no, no. There are thousands of factors he takes in consideration. Remember the book of James says that teachers are going to be held to a higher standard of judgment. There is a way in which God works this. And part of the point is we ought not ever feel inflated over another brother and we ought not judge one another, not only because we don't have the authority, it's not our place, but also because... We don't know one one thousandth of all the factors that go into this. We are not to take credit that rightly belongs to God. So, so Christian, if you, if you look at your life, you know, a lot of times we, I, I ask applicational questions and they're convicting, okay? And they're ma- meant to 
bring a bit of guilt so that spurs us on. But when we ask application questions and you observe that things are going well in a certain area, it is not evil to recognize if your prayer life is going well. If as a parent, things are going well, doesn't mean perfect, excel still more, but if it's going well, but what is wrong is if we feel puffed up about that. We are to rejoice and give thanks to God for the grace he's given and say, oh God, help me even more to keep striving. If God is the one who gives the gift, then what right do we have to boast in having it? God creates some people to be seven and a half foot tall and they can reach up with their hand and grab a basketball rim. That guy shouldn't boast that he can dunk a basketball. But watch this next. But also it is the case that the five foot six man who had to work really hard and he can dunk a basketball still has no room to boast. He had to work really hard to realize the potential, but God is the one who gave him that ability. And so what scripture is, is showing us is we have no right to boast because everything we have, we have received. Now that was a, a physical illustration. You know, this is even more so the case when it comes to the spiritual gifts and using them. Even more, much more, they are empowered by God. No one has a right to feel inflated. We've been given whatever we have. In weeks to come, we'll talk about the fact that we are to work hard to sharpen the gifts that we've been given and to reach the fullest potential that we have there. But we must be careful that we never think, by the sweat of my brow, I did this. That's a line from Deuteronomy 8. God said to the Israelites when he sent them into the land, whenever you go in there and you prosper and it goes well, you be careful that you never say by the sweat of my brow, I built this. God said, you remember it is the Lord, your God, who gives you strength to work. And so this is meant by God. This is meant by God to produce a community of believers who are filled with gratitude, filled with desire to serve one another, filled with a brotherly affection, a love for one another, because the same father who adopted me adopted you. And he tells us, go love my other sons and daughters, go care for one another, build Jesus's church. And so it's meant to produce a community of believers who operate like a family, who operate like a household. You know, it's a bit metaphorical because we don't all live under the same roof but meant to operate like a household of sorts and who serve one another selflessly. And as we do, as each member of the body, we are fulfilling our functions. As we do this, Jesus is pleased. Jesus, his name is exalted. He wants unity in the body of Christ. He prayed for it on the night of his betrayal. Pride is a destroyer of relationships. Pride is a destroyer of marriages. And pride is a destroyer of the unity of the body of Christ. God wants there to be a humility that flows out of our understanding of the gospel of grace that produces a community of humble, grateful people energetically looking to serve one another. And when that happens, the church is built and beautified. So Christian, I appeal to you, consider these truths deeply. Make your heart to own them. 
meditate on them extensively so that it brings about a right and sober kind of thinking about ourselves. Let it produce humble, grateful dignity as sons and daughters of God. And if you've never turned to Christ, there's a way this passage very much applies to you, but in a different kind of way. I I need to say something to you that you may find unpleasant and it might sound a bit mean, but I'm, I'm just telling you sober truth that you need to know. You think you're fine. And you may even think that you're a good person. I, I got to tell you that the Bible tells you you're thinking more highly of yourself than what is really true. You, you think you, you must be fine and a good person, so God's surely going to let you into heaven. And maybe you've just always assumed that God's letting just about everybody in. That's not reality. In the Bible, in places like Romans 3 and Ephesians 2, and I, I plead with you to read those if you're not familiar with this. In Romans 3, we're told we're all sinners and God has a long list of ways that he describes us like We have the poison of vipers on our lips. In Ephesians 2, God says that if you are not safe in Christ, haven't turned to him, then you're an enemy of God. You are under his wrath. You're a child of wrath, not a child of uh, God in, in adoption, a child of wrath. And you need to be delivered out of that and made right with God. You need to be forgiven of your sins, not go try to fix yourself. You need grace right now to forgive you. And God offers that. The way that you receive it is by receiving Christ himself. Believe. Trust in Christ. Place your faith in him. No no longer trusting in yourself and faith in yourself that you're good enough. Faith in Christ. Receive Jesus as your Lord the one who rules you and has the right to tell you what to do. Receive him as your prophet, the one who teaches you and you believe what he says. And as your savior, the the one who offers salvation and it's nowhere else, trust in Christ and you will be saved. And if you want to talk about that, find me before you leave. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, we thank you for your truth that you revealed to us. And I ask God that you will take this and apply it to us now. Help our hearts to believe. Help our hearts to own these truths with conviction that it really does bring the change it's supposed to. Please bless us, O God, as we close here and spend some time fellowshipping and then we're gonna leave and go back out, uh, Lord, into the world. We pray, have mercy on us. Bless us as your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.